Chapter Twenty Six of the Red Room by August Strindberg, translated by Ellie Schlesner, recording by William Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six Correspondence. Candidate Borg to Journalist Struve, Namdo, June Eighteenth. Old Scandalmonger. As I am convinced that neither you nor Levin have paid off your installments of the loan made by the Shoemaker's Bank, I am sending you herewith a promissory note, so that you may raise a new loan from the Architect's Bank. If there is anything over after the installments have been paid up, we will divide it equally amongst us. Please send me my share by steamer to Delaro, where I will call for it. I have now had Falk under treatment for a month, and I believe he is on the road to recovery. You will remember that after Ollie's famous lecture, he left us abruptly and, instead of making use of his brother and his brother's connections, went on the staff of the workman's flag, where he was ill-treated for fifty crowns a month. But the wind of freedom which blew there must have had a demoralizing effect on him, for he became morose and neglected his appearance. With the help of the girl Beta, I kept my eye on him, and when I considered him ripe for a rupture with the communards, I went and fetched him away. I found him in a low public house called The Star, in the company of two scandal writers with whom he was drinking brandy. I believe they were writing at the same time. He was in a melancholy condition, as you would say. As you know, I regard mankind with common difference. Men are to me geological preparations, minerals. Some crystallize under one condition, others under another. It all depends on certain laws or circumstances which should leave us completely unmoved. I don't weep over the lime spar because it is not as hard as a rock crystal. Therefore, I cannot regard Falk's condition as melancholy. It was the outcome of his temperament, heart, you would say, plus the circumstances which his temperament had created. But he was certainly down when I found him. I took him on board our cutter, and he remained passive. But just as we had pushed off, he turned round and saw Beta standing on the shore, beckoning to him. I can't think how she got there. On seeing her, our man went clear out of his mind. Put me ashore, he screamed, threatening to jump overboard. I seized him by the arms, pushed him into the cabin, and locked the door. As we passed Vaxholm, I posted two letters, one to the editor of the workman's flag, begging him to excuse Falk's absence, and the other to his landlady, asking her to send him his clothes. In the meantime, he had calmed down, and when he beheld the sea and the scaries, he became sentimental and talked a great deal of nonsense. He had lost all hope of ever seeing gods, question mark, green earth again, he said, and so on. But presently he began to suffer from something like qualms of conscience. He maintained that he had no right to be happy and take a holiday when there were so many unhappy people in the world. He imagined that he was neglecting his duty towards the scoundrel who edits the workman's flag, and begged us to row him back. When I talked to him of the terrible time he had just gone through, he replied that it was the duty of all men to work and suffer for one another. This view had almost become a religion with him, but I have cured him of it with soda water and salt baths. He was completely broken, and I had great difficulty in patching him up, for it was hard to say where the physical trouble ended and the psychical began. I must say that in a certain respect he excites my astonishment. I won't say admiration, for I never admire anybody. He seems to suffer from an extraordinary mania which makes him act in direct contradiction to his own interest. He might have been in a splendid position if he had not thrown up his career in the civil service, particularly as his brother would, in that case, have helped him with a sum of money. Instead of that, he cast his reputation to the winds 
and slave for a brutal plebeian, and all for the sake of his ideals. It is most extraordinary. But he seems to be mending at last, more particularly after a lesson he had here. Can you believe it? He called the fisherman, Sir, and took off his hat to them. In addition, he indulged in cordial chats with the natives in order to find out how these people lived. The result was that the fishermen pricked up their ears, and one of them asked me one day whether this Falk paid for his own board, or whether the doctor, I, paid for him. I told Falk about it, and it depressed him. He is always despondent whenever he is robbed of a delusion. A few days later he talked to our landlord on the subject of universal suffrage. Later on our landlord asked me whether Falk was in poor circumstances. During the first few days he ran up and down the shore like a madman. Often he swam far out into the fjord, as if he never meant to return again. As I always looked upon suicide as a sacred right of every individual, I did not interfere. Isaac told me that Falk had opened his heart to him on the subject of the girl Beta. She seems to have made an awful fool of him. Apropos of Isaac, he is one of the shrewdest fellows I ever met. He has, after one month's study, mastered the Latin grammar, and he reads his Caesar as we read the Grey Bonnet. And what's more, he knows all about it, which we never did. His brain is receptive, that is to say, capable of assimilating knowledge. In addition to this, it is practical. This combination has produced many a genius, in spite of gross stupidity and many other respects. Every now and then he indulges his business instincts. The other day he gave us a brilliant example of his talent in that direction. I know nothing about his financial position, for in that respect he is very reticent. But a little while ago he had to pay a few hundred crowns. He was very fidgety, and as he did not want to apply to his brother of the Triton, with whom he is not on friendly terms, he asked me to lend him the sum. I was not in a position to do so. Thereupon he sat down, took a sheet of notepaper, wrote a letter, and sent it off by special messenger. For a few days nothing happened. In front of our cottage grew a pretty little oak wood, which shaded us from the sun and sheltered us from the strong sea breezes. I don't know much about trees and things pertaining to nature, but I love to sit in the shade when the days are hot. One morning, on pulling up my blind, I was dumbfounded. I was looking at the open fjord and a yacht riding at anchor about a cable length from the shore. Every tree had gone, and Isaac was sitting on a stump, reading Euclid, and counting the trunks as they were being carried on board the yacht. I wakened Falk. He was furious and had a quarrel with Isaac, who made a thousand crowns on the deal. Our landlord received two hundred, all he had asked for. I could have killed Isaac, not because he had had the trees cut down, but because I had not thought of it first. Falk said it was unpatriotic, but Isaac swears that the removal of the rubbish has improved the view. He declares that he will take a boat next week and visit the neighboring islets with the same object. Our landlord's wife cried all day long, but her husband went to Delaro to buy her a new dress. He remained away for two whole days, and when he returned at last, he was drunk. There was nothing in the boat, and when his wife asked for the new dress, the fisherman confessed that he had forgotten all about it. Enough for the present. Write soon and tell me a few new scandals, and be careful how you manipulate the loan. Your deadly enemy in security, H.B. P.S. I read in the papers that a civil service bank is about to be established. Who is going to put money into it? Keep an eye on it, so that we can place a bill there when the time comes. Please put the following paragraph into the gray bonnet. It will affect my medical degree. Scientific discovery, colon... 
C-A-N-D, period, M-E-D, period, Enric Borg. One of our younger, distinguished medical men has, while engaged in zootomic research on the scaries near Stockholm, discovered a new species of the family Kleipeser, to which he has given the very pertinent name of Meritimus. Its characteristics may be described as follows. Cutaneous laminae in five porous ambulacral shields, and five interambulacral shields with warts instead of pricks. The animal has excited much interest in the scientific world. Arvard Falk to Beta Peterson August 18th As I walk along the seashore and see the roadweed growing in sand and pebbles, I think of you blossoming for a whole winter in an inn of old Stockholm. I know nothing more delightful than to lie full length on a cliff and feel the fragments of nice tickling my ribs while I gaze seaward. It makes me feel proud, and I imagine that I am Prometheus, while the vulture, that is you, has to lie in a feather bed in a Sandberg street and swallow mercury. Seaweed is of no use while it grows at the bottom of the sea, but when it decays on the shore, it smells of iodine, which is a cure for love, and bromide, which is a cure for insanity. There was no hell until paradise was quite complete, that is to say, until woman was created. Chestnut. Far away, by the open sea, there lives a pair of eider ducks, in an old quarter cask. If one considers that the stretched-out wings of the eider measure two feet, it seems a miracle, and love is a miracle. The whole world is too small for me. Beta Peterson to Mr. Falk. Stockholm, August 18th. Dear friend, I have just received your letter, but I cannot say that I have understood it. I see you think that I am in Sandberg Street, but that is a great lie, and I can understand why that blackguard says I am. It is a great lie, and I swear that I love you as much as before. I often long to see you, but it cannot be yet. Your faithful Beta. P.S. Dear Arvid, if you could lend me thirty crowns till the fifteenth, I swear I will pay it back on the 15th, because I shall receive money then. I have been so ill, and I am often so sad, that I wish I was dead. The barmaid in the café was a horrid creature, who was jealous because of the stout burglin, and that is why I left. All they say of me is lies. I hope you are well, and don't forget your... the same. You can send the money to Hulda in the café, then I shall get it. Candidate Borg to journalist Struve, Namdo, August 18th. Conservative blackguard, you must have embezzled the money, for instead of receiving cash, I received a request for payment from the shoemaker's bank. Do you imagine a man has a right to steal because he has a wife and children? Render an account at once, else I shall come up to town and make a row. I read the paragraph, which, of course, was not without errors. It said zoologic instead of zootomic, and... Kripe Easter instead of Kleip Easter. Nevertheless, I hope it will serve its purpose. Falk went mad after receiving a letter in a feminine handwriting a day or two ago. One minute he was climbing trees, at the next he was diving to the bottom of the sea. I expect it was the crisis. I'll talk to him like a father a little later on. Isaac has sold his yacht without asking my permission, 
and for this reason we are, at the moment, enemies. He is at present reading the second book of Livy, and founding a fishing company. He has bought a stromming net, a seal gun, twenty-five stems, a salmon line, two bass nets, a shed for drag nets, and a church. The latter seems incredible, but it is quite true. I admit it was scorched a little by the Russians in 1719, but the walls are still standing. The parish possesses a new one, which serves the ordinary purpose. The old one was used as a parochial storeroom. Isaac is thinking of making the academy a present of it, in the hope of receiving the order of Vasa. The latter had been given for less. Isaac's uncle, who is an innkeeper, received it for treating the deaf and dumb to bread and butter and beer when they used the riding ground in the autumn. He did it for six years. Then he received his reward. Now he takes no more notice of the deaf and dumb, which proves how fatal the order of Vasa may be under certain circumstances. Unless I drown the rascal Isaac, he won't rest until he's bought all of Sweden. Pull yourself together and behave like an honorable man, or I shall bear down upon you like Yehu, and then you'll be lost. H.B. P.S. When you write the notice relating to the distinguished strangers at the Laro, mention me and Falk, but ignore Isaac. His presence irritates me. He went and sold his yacht. Send me some blank bills, blue ones, solo bills, when you send the money. Canada Borg to Journalist Struve, Namdo, September 18th. Man of honor, money arrived, seems to have been exchanged, for the architect's bank always pays in scanning bills of fifty. However, never mind. Falk is well. He has passed the crisis like a man. He has regained his self-confidence, a most important quality as far as worldly success goes, but a quality which, according to statistics, is considerably weakened in children who lose their mothers at an early age. I gave him a prescription, which he promised to try all the more readily, as the same idea had occurred to him. He will return to his former profession, but without accepting his brother's help, his last act of folly of which I do not approve, re-enter society, register his name with the rest of the cattle, become respectable, make himself a social position, and hold his tongue until his word bears weight. The latter is absolutely necessary, if he is to remain alive. He has a tendency to insanity, and is bound to lose his reason unless he forgets all about these ideas which I really cannot understand, and I don't believe that he himself could define what it is he wants. He has begun to cure, and I am amazed at his progress. I'm sure he'll end as a member of the royal household. That is what I believed until a few days ago, when he read in a newspaper an account of the Commune of Paris. He at once had a relapse, and took to climbing trees again. He got over it, though, and now he does not dare to look at a paper, but he never says a word. Beware of the man when his apprenticeship is over. Isaac is now learning Greek. He considers the textbooks too stupid and too long. Therefore he takes them to pieces, cuts out the most important bits, and pastes them into an account book, which he has arranged like a summary for his forthcoming examinations, Unfortunately, his increasing knowledge of the classics makes him impudent and disagreeable. So, for instance, he dared to contradict the pastor the other day while playing a game of droughts with him and maintained that the Jews had invented Christianity and that all those baptized were really Jews. Latin and Greek have ruined him. I am afraid that I have nursed the dragon in my hairy bosom. If this is so, then the seed of the woman must bruise the serpent's head. H.B. P.S. Falk has shaved his American beard and no longer raises his hat to the fisherman. You'll not hear from me again from Namdo 
We are returning to town on Monday. End of chapter 26